Amen. Take your Bibles tonight. Please turn to James chapter 5. We'll finish out the book of James tonight. And then, of course, uh, we're gone for two weeks, and then we will start on the book of First Peter. My pulpit's smaller. Can I give you that? It's just going to get knocked over. Thank you. James chapter 5, we started last week on this final point, the Christian and his burdens, the Christian and his burdens. And we'll just pick up where we left off with the Christian and his burdens. We noticed first the burden of poverty. There were those in the church who were really struggling at the church of Jerusalem and not because they wouldn't work or they couldn't work or couldn't find work, but because they were persecuted. And it's likely if they couldn't find work, it's because nobody would hire them. And the Bible says the church was scattered abroad, this church of Jerusalem. And James, the pastor of that church, was missing those people, and that's what provoked him to write this book. James chapter 1, verse 1 is James written to those Christians that are scattered abroad, uh, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, he said. So these were Jewish Christians, uh, and he was missing his church. And so he was writing to them, encouraging them to to grow and to mature. If he wasn't going to be there to preach to them every week and try to help them along, at least they'd have a letter that they could take biblical principles and begin to grow and mature in. And so they were persecuted. But that was just a symptom of the bigger problem that extended to all areas of their life. And so James writes more than just about their poverty, but about all the other things that we have talked about thus far. And so he talks about that, and then we see the burden of poverty, but then the burden of proof. And when we are stricken by tribulation and trials in our lives, we just need to learn how to prove God and trust God. And, and just, just be honest when the Bible says, let your yea be yea and your nay by nay. And don't try to make a bargain with God. And don't try to reason your way out of a situation. But instead, just simply and quietly be honest with yourself and honest with God and let God take care of all the circumstances and, and the outcome of them. And so tonight we're going to look at James chapter 5 and verse 13 to the end of the chapter, and we see, first of all, the burden for prayer, the burden, burden for prayer. And so we, we kind of alluded to this last week. If we are going to have tribulation in this world, and we are going to learn how to trust God, verse 12 uh, says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by another oath. In other words, don't make deals with God. And what's it mean by that, swearing? Well, we often say, well, God, I, I swear an oath, or I promise you, if you take care of this, then I will live the rest of my days for you, or I'll do this, or I'll do that. God says, don't do that. Now, we are frail, we are sinful, and we fall away so easily, and we don't keep those bargains. But he says, instead, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. So be honest with yourself, lest you fall into condemnation. Let God take care of it. And then we alluded to verse 13 last week, and here's how we really learn to rely upon God is we go to Him in prayer. And so it's the final reminder we'll come to tonight, the burden for prayer, and then finally we'll see later on the burden for people. The Bible says in verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, as we come to this final lesson. We ask, Lord, that you would bring everything together and press upon our hearts these truths tonight. May the Spirit of God help us. I need your help. I pray that you'd fill me. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So take your notes tonight and look at number letter C. I've given you A and B just so you keep your uh, place in your notes and your context. But we finished A and B last week. We're going to look at number letter C tonight. The burden for prayer. The burden for prayer. We see, first of all, the hypothesis. The hypothesis. And I want you to notice three things in verse 13. First of all, is any among you afflicted? And so he's given us some hypothetical situations, isn't he? He gives us three. The first one, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. So we see number, uh, uh, number one, the hypothesis, letter A. The man who is overwhelmed, let him speak to God. The man that is overwhelmed, let him speak to God. Let's be honest, we all deal with afflictions, don't we? I mean, it might be, you might be just out for a walk and you get stung by a bee. It's a little minor affliction. It's not an affliction that we take to the Lord. So that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about afflictions that overwhelm us. Ones that we don't know what to do with and how do we, how do we deal with this life situation. So the Bible says, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. We sojourn in enemy territory, but it's good to know we don't walk alone. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter tonight. Uh, look at Hebrews 4, first of all. We're going to look at three passages here about uh, having this fellowship with the Lord that we need to survive in this world. Hebrews chapter 4, of course, is the boldly going to the throne of grace passage, but let's read a few verses there. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. In other words, Jesus knows how you feel. You say, well, I've got, I'm in a lot of pain. You don't understand. Jesus sure does. He suffered on that cross. He understands what it's like to lose loved ones and, and things like that. And I, I just heard a quote yesterday I thought was interesting, though. Jesus is the only preacher in the history of the world who never preached a funeral. Because when the dead person sits up, the funeral's over. Think about that. Isn't that neat? Boy, Jesus always broke up a good funeral. You know, I mean, people be jumping out of the graves, amen? Hebrews chapter 4, read on. So, so Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to die. He's faced death. The Bible says he was so in much anxiety over it, he sweated drops of blood. So we, we, he knows how we feel. But was in all points tempted like we are. He's tested just like we were, yet without sin. Never lost his integrity in all of it. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to put three passages together from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, just forward a couple pages, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, 
and having a high priest over the house of God. Now Hebrews chapter 4 says we can enter boldly into the throne room of grace. Hebrews chapter 10 indicates to us that that throne room of grace is that place within the veil. I never really put that together before. Do you know that the priest was allowed to go in the Holy of Holies one day a year to offer for sins a, a sacrifice of atonement upon the altar? But upon that Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, which represented the very presence of God, there was a throne upon it called the mercy seat. And that's where we're going. And Hebrews chapter 4 says we can go to find mercy and grace and help in the time of need. And so that's where we find it is within that veil. Now tie it all together with Hebrews chapter 6. Turn back a couple pages. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Where is our anchor cast? It's cast within the veil. It is cast with our great high priest. It is cast within the holy of holies. It is cast at that mercy seat. And so what the Bible is teaching us about this anchor, that we sing about that anchor, don't we have an anchor? It keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Uh, does your anchor hold in the storms of life? We sing songs about this in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. And what is it speaking about? It's speaking about everything that we face in this world, we have to understand that we have an anchor somewhere and it's within the veil with Jesus Christ. We're anchored to Christ through prayer. And so that's the, the, the burden that we have for prayer. If we're overwhelmed, simply speak to God about it. And then we see secondly in verse 13, the second hypothesis in James chapter 5, verse 13, he says, is any Mary? Let him sing songs. Let her be, I've called this, the man who is overjoyed, let him sing. So we've seen the man who is overwhelmed, let him speak to God, but the man who is overjoyed, let him sing to God. In Acts chapter 7, is the only other time we read this word in the New Testament. It says, is any, uh, is any Mary? That word Mary, you don't see it very often in the Bible. Matter of fact, this is the only time it comes across as Mary. But the Greek word we find in Acts chapter 7, I'm going to turn back there. You can join me if you will, if you want. Acts chapter 7. And if you're taking notes, jot down verses 1 through 25. We're not going to read them all, but just put that down as a reference. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 25. In Acts chapter 7, who do we read about? Who remembers? Stephen, right. The, one of the great deacons from Acts chapter 6. And he was one that preached and did miracles. And he, he was a, a, a man of God. And the Bible says, in Acts chapter 7, they put him on trial. And he began to speak. And from Genesis right through to the time of Christ, he preached Jesus. He preached the gospel. And if you look at Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, oh, I'm, sorry, I'm, in the wrong, I'm in the wrong passage altogether. I don't even know why I'm talking to you about Stephen. It's Acts 27. I'm sorry. As soon as I say Acts 7, my mind goes to Stephen. Acts 27, I'm sorry. And again, it's verses 1 through 25. This is a different trial. This isn't Stephen's, I was, 
I'm getting ready for Easter Sunday, and I've got three messages going, and I'm, uh, one of them's about Stephen, and so I got my wires crossed there. In Acts chapter 27, we have a different trial. We have the Apostle Paul. He's on a ship, and they push out from my uh, Letus, and the Bible says they're sailing past the place of, called the Port of the Fair Havens, and Paul says, we ought to, we ought to put in there. And they said, now we're going to keep going. And so they kept going, and the Bible says the wind was contrary, and the storms began to blow. And finally, Paul says in verse 22, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. That's the same word as Mary. It's the only other time it's used in the entire Bible. Be of good cheer. Now, I said it's the only time it's used, but it's used twice in this passage. Read down to verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. You say, who told me that? Look what it says in verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, I belong to God, and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. You see, Paul's anchor was anchored in the Lord. God came to him and said, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You're going to go to Caesar. You're going to go to Rome. And so Paul says, I'm going to be merry right here in the midst of the storm. I'm going to be cheerful. And so men, be of good cheer. And so when we're overjoyed, let us sing to the Lord. It's, it's a joy that comes from the promises of God. I remember last year when the Vasics were with us and Brother Vasic preached that great message, in everything give thanks. We don't give thanks for everything. There's a lot of things we're not happy about. But in those trials, we are to give thanks and we are to be joyful and cheerful. So the man who is overjoyed, let him sing. Then look at James chapter 5, verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so the third one, let her see, the man who is overcome, let him send. Send for the elders. Notice in this prayer service that James is promoting, it was the sick who were to call for help. Now, we're going to spend a little time on this passage because I think it's often misunderstood, and I've misunderstood it myself for a long time, and uh, really just took some time to study out the context of it, because there are times where we, people will ask us, would you come and anoint with oil, and would you pray over us? Uh, nothing wrong with praying over people. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with symbols, as long as we're not using them like idols, all right? The Lord's table is a symbol. Baptism is a symbol. So there's nothing wrong with symbols as long as we're using them appropriately. But let's see what the Bible really says about uh, this prayer service that he is advocating, all right? So first of all, we see the healing. The second part of verse 14, the healing. We've looked at the hypothesis, these three situations. But let's look at the healing, verse uh, 14. First of all, he says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders to church and let them pray over him. Let them pray. Notice again, it is a call for the elders to pray. Not the faith healers, not the televangelists that do miracle workers. It's a call the elders. Call your pastor. The elders of the church, the godly men of the church. That's, that's who entrusted. Sometimes we get this idea that, that there's people that are walking around on this earth with some sort of special power. Listen, you and I can go to the throne room of grace. We have untapped potential in the power of God. And so let's trust in what God has given us and let us pray. There's a definite cessation of apostolic gifts in the New Testament. 
they were meant as assigned unbelieving Jews. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if I, if, I went to, if I were Jesus Christ, and I'm certainly not, but if I were to go and say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, you'd say, you're nuts. If I were to come and say, well, hey, I, everybody, I'm the Messiah. You remember Jesus was in the temple and he was reading that, those scrolls, they were handed to him, and he was talking about how uh, the Messiah would come to heal the brokenhearted and all the rest, and he said, today is this fulfilled in your ears. They must have thought he was crazy, except they could also see the miracles he did, the power that he had, and that authenticated his message. You remember Eutychus? How many of you know who Eutychus is? How many of you here just like Eutychus? Eutychus was the guy that fell asleep in church. And by the way, he died. It's the only recorded instance of the Bible is somebody falling asleep in church and God killed him. I'm just letting you know, all right? That's biblical. But he was sleeping and he slumped up again. He was sitting by a window. The room was so packed, he sat on the windowsill and fell asleep and fell out and broke his neck. And Paul went out and raised him back to life. He said, well, why did Paul do that? How did he have the power to do that? Because he had apostolic gifts. It authenticated his message. But you know what I read on later on? Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy often infirmities. Well, why didn't he just heal him? If he had the gift of healing, why wouldn't he just heal him? As a matter of fact, Paul said, in, in one of his epistles, he says, I have left Trophimus. How many of you remember Trophimus? I left Trophimus and Miletus sick. Well, if he was a faith healer, why wouldn't he just heal him before he left? And there was a lot of times the Bible says that Paul had Luke come and minister to him, and Luke was a doctor taking care of his various needs. We, we know that a thorn in his side was likely failing eyesight from that Encounter on the road to Damascus. And so you see the apostolic gifts begin to fade. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that they were just the foundation, or sorry, Galatians chapter 2, that they were just the foundation of the church. Now we build upon it. They were that foundation of the church. And 1 Corinthians says the Jews require a sign. And so our response to illness today, what is it? Well, we pray. And we ask God to do the work. And so let's look at the procedure now in, in verse 14 at the end. It says, let them pray over him. How? Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The authority, first of all, of prayer involved. First notice that word, shall. I want to be very clear about this. Verse 15 says, the prayer of the faith shall save. I got ahead of myself again, didn't I? First of all, look at the sanctifying oil, number one. The sanctifying oil. Oil in the Bible had a lot of healing properties. They didn't have a lot of medicines like we do today, uh, but they would use olive oil, camphor oil if they had a cough. They would take camphor oil. And so there's different oils in the Bible that had a healing property. How many of you ever had to have cod liver oil? Was that good? John, you did? I don't doubt that. Makes your hair fall out, doesn't it? See? And, uh, and so oils have a healing property, but oils are also a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the Jewish church, he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And so they were Jews, and they would understand that oil was a picture of God's spirit. It was also a picture of cleansing in the Old Testament. And so these Jewish believers would understand what this, this symbol meant when they anointed with oil. So there's sanctifying oil, but then it's the sovereign name. The Bible says, in the name of the Lord, at the end of verse 14. 
That's where all the power comes from. It's not from the, 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 the picture of oil, but it's from the healing power of Jesus Christ. He is a name above all names. And so let me ask you something. If the Bible says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, why doesn't it work every single time? Well, some people say, well, and that's what the faith healers love to say, well, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. The problem is, is then we're putting faith in faith. We're putting faith in ourselves. It's not, it's not my faith, it's my faith in Christ. It's Christ that saves me. And so we have to look at the context here and understand the whole passage. Read the rest of it. Verse 15, And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So what is asserted? First of all, the authority of prayer and the authority of the person. If we pray in faith, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall heal them, and he shall raise them up. There can be no argument about the power of prayer and the power of Jesus Christ. So that's just definitive. But look at the next thing. What is assumed? It's assumed by most people that that's all there is to it. We often say, well, let's take the oil, let's pray over this person, let's just trust, and God will heal them. And by the way, I believe that God answers prayer. I believe that God heals by prayer. I have no, no doubt about that. But we're talking about a specific instance in the Word of God now. James is talking to a specific group of people about a specific instance. Should we pray for the sick? Absolutely, always. Will God heal? Absolutely, we sure hope so. Sometimes he says no. But that's not what this passage is. It says he shall raise them up. And so what are we missing? Read what it says. The assumption is God will fix it every time. But look what it says at the end of the verse. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Here's the context. The illness that James is talking about is the judgment of sin. All right? Now, that doesn't mean the next time you get sick, it's because you sinned. We live in a world that's full of bacteria and disease, and it's getting worse. I believe part of it's a result of the fall, but we all have a sin nature. There's lots of sickness out there that has nothing to do with sin. It's just we get sick. We're just exposed to things, okay? But the Bible does say there are times where God judges, and this is the case right here. You say, how do you know that? Well, because he's tying sin to disease right here. That upon, well, let me ask you this. If I come to you and I pray over you, if, if Bethany uh, is sick and she knows in her heart, oh man, I sinned. And God is judging me right now. And I'm sick because... And you say, what, what, is there an example in the Bible? How about 1 Corinthians 11? You remember the Lord's table? There are many sick among you because they were sinning against God. They were taking the Lord's table in the wrong way. They were being gluttons about the food and the table. And they, people that didn't have anything to bring to that, that meal that they were having, that celebratory meal, they were left outside. They weren't even allowed to come in. And so they were excluded from the Lord's table. It was more than just the bread and the wine back then. It was a big, a big deal, a celebration. And there were some that were sick because of their sin. And so Bethany says, I know this illness. How many of you know that when God is judging you, you know exactly what sin it's about? Amen? Well, the devil, the devil tries to make you doubt it, but the Lord makes it pretty clear. And she says, I know I've sinned, and I know that's why I've fallen sick. 
I better call for the elders to pray over me. And the oil represented also the forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament. And so let me ask you, if I pray for, oh, Lord, Bethany's got the flu and she's so sick she might die from this, her fever's so high, does that forgive her sin? No, so something else has to be going on here, right? How do we get our sins forgiven? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, this person in James chapter 5 all of a sudden acknowledges, oh, I'm a sinner. And the very next verse, verse 16 says, confess your faults one to another. So this wasn't just any kind of sin. This wasn't just, oh, I had an evil thought about somebody. This wasn't, I just had a lustful thought. This was, I sinned against somebody in the church. And I need to call the elder and I need to make this right right now. And when they confessed their sin, not that they had to confess to a man, but when they confessed to the person and they got it right with that person, the elders prayed for their sickness, the sickness got better, and the sin was forgiven. Not because they prayed for the sickness, but because they confessed their sin. You see how it's all tied together? Romans chapter 5, look there. Romans chapter 5. Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're getting ready for Easter. It's been a busy week. I'm trying to remember all my references. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look what it says here. It is reported commonly among you uh, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up. And have not rather mourned that he that doth this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when ye gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan, look at that next phrase, for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see what happens? He says there's some sin among your people. It's an immorality with one another. And he says, so now I can judge this from where I'm at. I don't have to come there. I know this is wrong. He says, here's what you need to do. Turn them over to Satan that their flesh be destroyed. You see, we can be afflicted in the flesh because of our sin. And James chapter 5 is saying, if we want to have the right relationships. You remember James chapter 5 is all about, or James is all about relationships. How do we survive in this world? Well, you have to grow up and have right relationships with God, with one another. All through the book, we've been dealing with relationships. And now he says, is there any sick among you? Hey, we've got some extremes here where people have been judged because of their sin. And if they want to be forgiven of their sins, and they want to be forgiven and healed of that sickness, here's what they need to do. They need to get it right. They need to confess it. And then verse 16 is to help us stay straight. How do we avoid this in the future? Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We, we, we call this something different today. Confessing your faults, we call it accountability is what we call it, isn't it? I want to be accountable to somebody. I'm struggling with somebody, so I'm going to find a friend that, that understands and will pray for me and encourage me. And uh, maybe it's about reading your Bible. You don't read your, so you get a, somebody say, listen, just ask me, are you reading your Bible? What did you read in your Bible today? Be accountable. And, and so it might be a positive thing. Sometimes it's about negative things. How do we stay away from sin? 
Well, we open up and we're accountable to somebody. So confess your faults one to another. Listen, I got a weakness in this area. Would you pray for me? And, and, and let them help you and let them pray for you because it'll save you later on a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble. And then we see the postscript. So the requirement is confess your faults one to another. The response is this, pray for one another. Pray for one another. That is our response. Listen, if sin is tied to judgment through sickness, when somebody comes to you to make it right, don't throw it in their face. The Bible says pray for them. Pray for them. Several years ago, there was a situation where I, I didn't have all the information that I, I thought I had all the information, and I went and dealt with this problem and, and uh, talked to somebody about it and then found out later that somebody had lied to me. So I went back to that person, and they had not, they had not tried to set it straight or anything. They didn't say it. They had done something wrong, but wasn't to the extent that I had thought. And I went back, and I said, listen, I, I owe you an apology. I did not know uh, a couple of these other things that had happened, and they tore me up. They said, they said well, it was very unprofessional. Blah, 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 blah. It just went off, and I said, yeah, I, I know. That's why I'm trying to apologize. I'm trying to say sorry. Well, and I said, no, no, no. I, I know that. I know that. That's why I'm trying to tell you I'm sorry. And they just kept throwing it in my face. The Bible says when we confess our faults, we're to pray for one another. Just forgive them. Pray for them. They're acknowledging to you, hey, I, I did wrong and I need help here. I don't want it to happen again. So pray for that person. And what is the reason is the last part. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Then he gives us an illustration of prayer. We see the hero, the hero. The hero might be a stretch, but it's, it goes with my alliteration, all right? So just live with it. The hero. Verse 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. What a great illustration. If a man can pray and cause it to stop raining for seven years and pray and start rain again, I mean, that's a powerful God. And that's a powerful tool that prayer is. And so we see the hero, first of all, Elijah and his passions. He was just like we are. That's what, I like to hear that when I hear an illustration. You know, somebody gets up and says, well, the king of England. I'm not like the king of England. I don't know. You know, he drives around Rolls Royces and stuff. But Elijah was a man of like passions like us. He was just like us. The Bible says he prayed, and so we see, first of all, his first prayer answered, and then his further prayer was answered. And then finally tonight, we see the burden for people. The burden for people. It's interesting that this is James's summary of all this about relationships and maturity. He says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins." So we see, first of all, the careless backslider. Verse 19, if any of you do err from the truth. The careless backslider. A violinist in the New York Symphony was asked how much he practiced. It was a full-time job being in the symphony, so he didn't have another job besides. He was paid to be first chair. He says, I practice between 10 and 12 hours a day on the violin. Somebody said, well, what would happen if you decided to slack off? He said, after the first day, I'd notice it. After the second day, my conductor would notice it. After the third day, the entire symphony would notice it. And after the fourth day, the whole world would know it. That's what sin is like, and that's what backsliding is like. It starts small. And we know in our hearts that something's wrong. 
but it, it, can act, it can just get worse and worse until it's out of control. And so we see the careless backslider. Then we see the concerned believer. It says, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. The word one there is talking about one who reaches out. One who's concerned for another. If any of you be overtaken to fall, ye which are spiritual are to help that one and restore that brother in the spirit of meekness. And so we are to reach out and to be a help to them. And then we see the consequent benediction in verse 20. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of the way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. James is saying, if you'll reach out to somebody, you're doing a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a help. Once forgiven, sin is better buried than born. Think about that. I heard somebody say that one time, and I've never forgotten it. Once forgiven, sin is better buried than born. Throw it away. Get rid of it. You're forgiven. Don't carry that burden any longer. And if you can help somebody with that, you've done a good thing. The book of James has proven to be a book about relationships. It focuses on our relationship with Christ and with one another. And friends, that's the only way you survive in a world like we have today. I remember going to visit Vernus Bartlett and Ruth in the hospital, and Ruth only had, it was, it was her last day on this earth. It was a Tuesday morning, and I went up to visit. Vernus had just found out his brother had died that day as well, or he had a funeral home that night. He died a couple days earlier the day before. He was going down to Jarvis, and I said, well, I'll come back, and I'll sit with Ruth tonight while you're at the funeral home. And Ruth was still awake, and she was able to talk, and we talked a little bit. And Vernus said, you know what, I never got back through these last few days if it weren't for my church, my Sunday school class. So I never got through the death of my first wife if it weren't for my Sunday school class. And that's what James is trying to teach us. It's all about these relationships and how do we survive in this world? By just loving one another, forgiving. Boy, forgiving is all through the book of James. Helping one another, encouraging one another, loving one another. That's what the book of James is about. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, tonight as we come to our prayer time. Help us to take these pointers from the book of James and apply them to our lives. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.